So uh, we're going to go straight into the Word today. If you have your Bibles, let's turn them into Joshua chapter 1. Um, we're going to, we finished the series, right, last week, um, and this is just going to be kind of like a standalone for uh, today. So if you have your Bibles, once again, Joshua chapter 1, uh, we're just going to read this first section, verses 1 through 9. I'm going to be reading for the ESV. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, you can just follow along here. This is the word of God, and it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the, the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the reading of God's word. Now, we live in this age of fear and uncertainty. And it seems like as time goes on, um, I feel like our fear begins to increase, right? It amplifies. I remember one of the first times I felt this fear, um, this type of uncertainty, was when I was, what, like maybe like 11 or 12? This was Y2K. Do you remember this, right? A lot of us, we were probably still in elementary, maybe middle school or high school, right? Um, Y2K was this big fear that we all had that the world was going to end in the second millennium, AD, right? That computers would start to malfunction and the whole world would just stop, cease to exist. Um, After Y2K was 9-11, right? Um, I clearly remember where I was right when the planes hit the Twin Towers. Um, 9-11 was one of those moments in our nation's history where for the very first time, we kind of felt, oh my gosh, we're vulnerable. Um, we, I mean, I thought we were such a great nation. We were powerful. No one would want to step against us. But for the first time, um, there was this fear that circulated all around, all around our nation. You know, after that, we have um, the shooting at Columbine, right, and all the other shootings that happened after that. Um, if you guys remember in 2008, right, there was the recession. Um, and Stuff like this, I feel like, of course, the media is amplifying it as well, but there's so much going on. I mean, we look at the news today, right? There's this whole craze about the coronavirus, right? Um, There's tensions between different nations. There's threats of war. 
um, people are talking about climate change, global warming, right? Um, the fear of the great earthquake that will happen, right? And um, Pastor Joe talked about this last week, but, you know, Los Angeles, um, the, the city's hero, Kobe Bryant, passed away, right? And that kind of shook all of Los Angeles. Um, everyone thought Kobe was invincible, right? And for Kobe, he's the kind of guy where if there is a will, there is a way. And I was listening to a lot of different podcasts and um, different sports journal- journalists just talking about their fond memories with Kobe. And all of them were saying, like, after I heard about the incident, and even as I'm doing this, this podcast, this recording right now, I just want to hug my daughter, right? All of these events that I just listed are painful reminders that life is uncertain. I mean, surely we feel that way too, right? Uncertainty breeds insecurity. Uncertainty makes us feel unsafe. It makes stability seem like a foreign concept. Did you know, though, that the feeling of insecurity is created by God? God actually created insecurity. So God designed the feeling of insecurity to be a warning sign that alerts us when we're vulnerable to some kind of danger. Okay? Insecurity tells us to take some protective action. The purpose of it is to move us towards safety. That is why we feel insecure if if things are unsafe. For example, if we're walking alone in a bad part of town at night, it's dark, right? It's kind of ghetto. I mean, we should feel a little insecure. If we're driving in the mountains when it's raining, there's fog, there's no visibility, and you have no service, I mean, you should kind of feel insecure. If you live with an abusive or a dishonest person, you should feel insecure, right? If, if we've come to um, the realization and the conviction of our sins, and we realize, oh my gosh, we're under God's wrath because we're not reconciled under Christ, yeah, we should feel insecure, But in addition to that, there's also a different type of insecurity that goes beyond the feeling of being unsafe or uncertain. There's a type of insecurity that we label as a state of being. Let me explain. We talk of being insecure, right? We we talk of, um, oh, so-and-so is an insecure person, right? So this type of insecurity is feeling a significant lack of confidence or a powerful fear of others' disapproval or rejection, right? This type of insecurity is a state of being where we just feel this chronic sense of inferiority. Maybe some of us, we feel insecure about our self-worth. We feel insecure about how others think of us. So how do we struggle with fear and insecurity? As parents, um, I've, you know, my, my, my brother is a dad, right? I know my sister-in-law. I have other friends who are parents as well. They have children. Um, they talk about insecurity as well. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this, but there's this thing called mom guilt, right? Mom guilt, if you don't know what it is, it's this feeling of guilt, doubt, anxiousness, or uncertainty experienced by mothers when they worry that they're failing or falling short of expectations in some way. And this feeling is really intense. I've seen a lot of moms affected by this. And all it takes is just one small incident to trigger it. Just one small minor thing. And it doesn't even have to be a mistake. One thing happens, and all of a sudden, you feel like your entire world is crashing down. 
right? You feel like, oh my goodness, I'm failing as a parent right now. Now, I don't know, obviously, what it's like to be a mom, so I can't empathize with that. But I know the feeling of guilt, right? The, the feeling of guilt makes us feel like poop. You know, it makes us feel worth, worthless. When it comes to singles, right, we have our own set of insecurities, don't we? We feel insecure about how much money we make, right? We feel insecure about the type of job that we have. We feel insecure about if we're dating or not. And it kind of seems like everyone in our life stage right now is getting engaged, right? But here we are, single and alone. So my friend, he's actually using, uh, he's using dating apps, right? Um, and he told me that he's been getting a lot more hits because it's close to Valentine's, right? So in uh, January, February, for singles, take note, this is a great time for you to join Hinge or Coffee Meets Bagel. Like, let's get it, right? So this is so interesting to me because no one wants to be alone on Valentine's. And all of this is birthed out of this insecurity that we have about being alone. Now, when it comes to our struggles with insecurity, naturally, I feel like we don't like talking about it, right? It's not like you have a normal conversation with your, your friend or an acquaintance, and you're like, I'm so insecure right now. I love life groups because it's an opportunity for us to lay our burdens of insecurity so we can face it together, right? We know that we're not alone in these issues. And a lot of us, and I've been so blessed by the church, a lot of you have been doing that regularly, and praise God for that. But naturally, I feel like we don't deal with it. We don't like talking about it. What do we do instead? Right? If we're not able to address our insecurities, what do we do instead? I think we sweep it under the rug. Honor and shame teaches us what Elsa sang in Frozen 1. Let me explain. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl or guy you always have to be. Conceal. Don't feel don't let them know, right? Sounds familiar, right? This is a great song, Let It Go. But here's the thing. You can't hide your insecurities forever because, well, now they know. How do they know? Because our insecurity affects the way that we live. What I mean by that is this. It leaks out into our actions. So the way in how we feel insecurity, it affects what we buy. It affects how hard we work. It affects how long we take to get ready. It affects what websites we frequent. It affects how we maintain our homes. It affects the way we raise our kids. It affects how we approach dating. And this is the worst part about social media. It exacerbates our insecurities, doesn't it? People post the best part of their lives, and we kind of see this fake, one-sided, idealistic picture of someone's life. And... I love, Pastor Joe said this, I love this quote. He said that your life cannot compete with your newsfeed. It's so true. It drives us to this nasty pattern of comparing our lives to others where we feel like their lives is a norm. It makes us very stressed out, doesn't it? It, it causes us to worry. Now, I'm not here to condemn you for feeling insecure. I actually think it's very human and normal to feel insecure about a lot of things. But I am here to tell you that God is actually pretty sensitive and aware of our insecurities. Did you know that? That God actually is very understanding and he knows why we feel the way that we feel. He knows why we do the things that we do. 
And rather than leaving us in this unhealthy condition, God will move as a skillful, gentle surgeon to do work on our hearts so that we may be free from our insecurities and have greater faith and hope. Today, we read this passage on Joshua, right? This is known as Joshua's commissioning. Joshua, if you didn't know, he was filled with fear and insecurity. Joshua was called to succeed Moses, okay? Um, And that's a big deal, right? Moses was the face of Israel. He was the hero. He was God's champion. And when God calls Joshua to be the next guy in line, Joshua's probably thinking, oh, my God. Goodness, I have really big shoes to fill. I don't know if I can do this. I feel unqualified. I feel ill-equipped. Now, when we look at our passage right after the introductory verse, right, verse 1, which provides the setting, from verse 2 and onwards, God is doing all the talking. Okay? Everything that we read, pretty much most of it is God talking to Joshua. Now, we don't know if Joshua had a prior conversation with God or if he was being reluctant like Moses was when Moses was being commissioned by God earlier on in Exodus. But we know what God says to Joshua, right? We know the content of how God commissions him. Verse 2 is the command. Go into the land with Israel. Go. But verses 3 to 9, if you really think about it, right, there's one verse that's a command. And from verses 3 to 9, our entire passage, they're all affirmations. Kind of interesting, right? God says, every place you walk on, I've given it to you. Like, consider it done. No man shall be able to stand before you. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you're going to cause your people to finally get the land that I promised to Abraham. Be strong and courageous. All you have to worry about is depending on my word. I'll take care of the rest. Leave it up to me. Only be strong and very courageous. Do not be afraid. Don't be dismayed. I'm with you wherever you go. Now, God saying all of this to Joshua, this shows me that God was actually really sensitive and aware of Joshua's insecurity. And God gave him the words that he needed to hear. And likewise for us, I think when we look at this passage today, I think there are some timeless truths we can glean from this passage. So today, I just want to give you two comforting truths. Um, Do you kind of feel you're in this phase of uncertainty? You kind of feel insecure with where you're at? Um, I hope these two truths really encourages you. Okay, here's the first truth. God is greater than Moses. Now, obviously, we don't know Moses, but let me try to unpack this for us. The book of Joshua takes place immediately after Moses' death. So Moses' death, it it shook all of Israel. Moses was a hero, right? And this is kind of like his legacy. This is the end of Deuteronomy, right before we get into Joshua. And this is what the author says. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So this passage here, before Moses dies, it celebrates what he's done. He was the chosen instrument of God. God used him to bring Israel out of Egypt. 
And this is high praise. Like, he knew God face to face. You know, when God was communicating to uh, Israel, God didn't communicate to every, you know, all the tribes. God only spoke to Moses face to face. Right? Moses was able to behold the glory of God. And not a lot of people had that privilege. Not only that, God used Moses, his staff, to do all the signs. Moses was able to do miracle after miracle because God used him to do it. And at 120 years old, he died. And you know what happened after Moses died? Israel wept for 30 days. They were mourning for 30 days. I mean, can you imagine what Joshua is thinking at this point? I will never amount to Moses. Like, are you serious? You want me to do what Moses couldn't do? I mean, Moses was the one that was supposed to inherit the promised land, not me. Like, why are you giving me this call? I mean, I, I can never fill his shoes. I'm pretty certain that Joshua was actually going through some insecurity. This past Friday, I was actually able to uh, watch the premiere of this movie called Birds of Prey. Um, it's not an appropriate movie. <laughs> There's a lot of like cursing. Um, but the reason why I went to go watch this movie was because uh, my niece was in it. She was one of the, the stars, I guess, right? And my cousin and her husband, they gathered like 300 people to fill up the theater at uh, the Grove. Um, and we pretty much like filled the entire theater, right? We were all wearing these orange bandanas to represent her character as Cassandra Kane. And it was really cool. It was a fascinating moment. And um, it's crazy, right? It's like someone that you know who's on a big screen, right? Who's in a movie that's being shown all across the world. It's crazy. Now, this niece of mine, she has two siblings, okay? So the niece of mine, is she's 13, right? Young, up-and-coming movie star. Sky's the limit. And she has a younger brother who's 11 and another younger sister who's 10. You know where I'm going with this? You could tell. So, so they were there, obviously. The whole family was there. Um, you could tell in their face that there was some jealousy, right? I mean, can you imagine being the sibling of this movie star, right? She's getting all the attention. She's getting all the praise. Everyone's trying to get an Instagram with her, right? She's blowing up. And all of a sudden, you know, it seems like the other siblings are kind of like, left to the side. My cousins and I, we were talking about it, and we felt bad for them. Like, they truly felt jealous. And surely, I feel like, you know, of course they're young, but I'm, I'm sure they kind of felt this burden, this pressure. Man, I will never amount to my sister. Like, she's getting all the attention in the world. Um, I don't know if I can deal with that. I mean, how can I please my parents, you know? These are really complex emotions for these young kids. And yet, I'm sure this is kind of what Joshua was feeling. My accomplishments are a mound of dirt compared to Moses' mountain. God, how do you want me to do this? But you know, after the morning, after um, Moses' death, God immediately says, up. Arise, get up. It's time to get work done. The show must go on. Because God's plan for Israel goes way beyond Moses. 
I love this commentator. He, he says this about this passage. Moses may die, but God's promises lives on. There is the passing of an era, yet the endurance of the promise. Yahweh's fidelity does not hinge on the achievements of men, however gifted they may be, nor does it evaporate in the face of funerals or rivers. It's powerful. You see, there's, there's really nothing that man can do to thwart the will of God. The sharpest philosopher cannot win an argument against God. The strongest person cannot outpower God. Right? The smartest scientist cannot discover what God does not already know. Rulers, nations, weather, nature, and even Satan himself all wait for God to grieve to all wait for God to give the green light. Nothing happens outside of the mighty and sovereign rule of God. So when we look at Joshua's commissioning, his success will not be determined by his competency or how talented or, or how gifted he is, but rather his success is determined by the promises of God. And all throughout the Bible, we see God using the weak to defeat the strong. The emphasis on this passage, and really all throughout Joshua, we see is pretty much what God will do, what God is doing. Not what, not what Moses did, not what Joshua is capable of doing. And a lot of these heroes of faith that we celebrate all across the Bible, right? Um, a lot of these heroes who've accomplished great things, they all have a common thread. And the common thread is this. They all had a great God behind them. And surely, church, if you are in Christ, God is behind you as well. Now, what does this mean for us? Right? The fact that God is greater than Moses. Well, God is greater than fill in the blank. God is greater than the economy. God is greater than any sickness or disease. God is greater than your sins and your weaknesses that you struggle with. God is greater than your insecurities. God is greater than any uncertainty. And perhaps the lesson that he's trying to teach Joshua is the same lesson that he's trying to teach us. Lean on me. Depend on me. Trust me. Because I am in control. I am greater than the things that you're going through. That's the first encouragement. God is greater. How great is it to have a God who is just beyond our control? Here's the second encouragement. God is loyal to his people. We see this in verses 3 to 5. God is loyal to his people. You know, it's hard to trust people, right? It's hard to trust people. Why? Because people hurt us. And because of that, I will never use Craigslist again to buy baseball tickets, right? I had a conversation with a church member last week. We met up for dinner, and we were just catching up. We were talking about our lives. And this brother is going through a lot. Uh, He's going through a lot of transition. He has really a lot on his plate. But I've been so encouraged by him because he's been able to cling to God, right? I'm so extremely proud of this brother and how he's able to handle hardship. And one issue that's been burdensome in his relationship was, or one, one issue that's been burdensome was his relationship with family. Um, I'm not going to go into detail, but some stuff happened, and he pretty much said, man, I don't know if I can trust my family anymore. We talked about it, and I realized, man, having trust broken within your own immediately, or having trust broken within your own immediate family 
it, it messes you up. If you can't trust the people who you're closest with, your own biological family, right, people who you've known the longest, people who raised you, how can you trust anyone else, right? And the sad reality is that this brother's story of trust broken within family is probably something many of us are well too familiar with. Coworkers have let us down. Friends have let us down. Family members have let us down. And even parents, they've let us down. But can you remember a time where God has let you down? God tells Joshua, I will never break my promise. And just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And for Joshua to have the reassurance of God's presence, that's really greater than anything he could have asked for. And all throughout Joshua's life, God has never left his side. You know, if, as the book continues, if you read on, you'll see that Israel will actually make some key mistakes. They fail to be obedient. It costed them victory, right? It costed them lives. But God was still with them till the very end. God eventually led them into the promised land. Why? Because God is loyal. He stays true to his promises. Do you know how loyal God is? God is so loyal that there is no amount of pain you can inflict on him that can cause him to leave you. Think about that. You know, Jesus, he's no stranger to broken trust. His family disregarded him and his ministry. Um, his inner circle fell asleep on him at Gethsemane. And by the time he was getting arrested, not only did Judas betray him, but all the other disciples left too. And to add to that pain, even the father left him because he was bearing all of our sins. Sin cannot exist in the presence of God. right? So he felt forsaken by the father. He was all alone on that cross. And that one thing we have to realize is this. At any given moment, from the scourging, right, to the beating, to the crucifixion, he could have tapped out and said, you know what? I'm sick of this. Forget it. I'm done with you. I'm done with humanity. I give up. You're hopeless. But Jesus never gave up. If Jesus did not give up on you when he was on the cross, what makes you think he'll give up on you now? This is the level of God's loyalty. God is loyal to his people. You know, people come and go, but God remains faithful forever. That's the second encouragement. God is extremely loyal to his people. That God will never leave you right now. Here's our application. Seek obedience over security. Seek obedience over security. Towards the end of our passage, God mentions the idea of success and prosperity. Um, so how does this passage then define success? How does this passage define prosperity? Well, we see here that it has nothing to do with financial success. But rather, this passage talks about obedience, following the law as success. One commentator writes this, The context here in Joshua is very clear about what is to be the key to Joshua's success. He is to be careful to obey all the law. He is not to turn from it to the right or to the left. He is to have it consistently on his lips and to meditate on it at all times. And he is carefully to do everything written in it. His focus is to be upon God's word and will. Then, 
as he leads Israel in the taking the land of Canaan, success will come to him. So in all throughout the Old Testament, prosperity is not always this financial, like, like wealth. Like, that's not the main primary meaning, if at all. But rather, prosperity comes when it is not the focus of one's effort in any case. It comes when one's focus is on God and when, when the focus is on God and the relationship with him. The success is granted by God, not attained by human achievement. So how does Joshua define the keys to success? Success is being intensely focused upon God and his consistent faithfulness to him and his revealed word. That's what success is. It's just being faithful to God, faithful to his word. That's what obedience is. Obedience to God's word is the key to success. We see throughout the last couple of verses, there's so much emphasis on adhering to the law. Be careful to do the law. All the law was supposed to be obeyed. Uh, Joshua was not uh, to deviate from it slightly, neither to the right or left. The law must not depart from his mouth. He must meditate on it day and night. I find this very interesting because Joshua is supposed to be the next leader of Israel, and he is supposed to lead the entire nation into warfare, to conquest, to take the promised land. Isn't it interesting how God doesn't provide instructions on how to train your military? Isn't it interesting how God doesn't say, this is how you're going to equip your soldiers, right? God's main instruction for Joshua was to be rooted in God's word. And that was far more important than depending on military might. You see, the keys, of, the keys to success are directly related to the degree of obedience to God. If you want to be successful, right, it's all about obedience. So seek obedience over security, right? Obedience is complying, meditating, and delighting in God's word. And one thing that I love um, that we do here at church is we have these monthly reading plans. Um, don't feel burdened to read, you know, like all the three different passages, um, but at least just get into the word daily and try to start that, that rhythm. The more we try to focus on our own security, the more insecure we'll be. The more we try to focus on obedience to God's word, the more secure we'll be. It's kind of like a paradox. Now, um, this passage is very meaningful to me um, because um, I'm pretty insecure, right? Um, I'm extremely insecure about a lot of things. I'm insecure about my vocation. Um, it's kind of discouraging to have friends that make, what, two, three, four times more <laughs> than what you're making, right? Um, a lot of my friends in ministry also, they're, they're more gifted than I am. Um, they're doing amazing things for the kingdom, right? And there's a lot of times I'm just like, oh, man, I suck. <laughs> um, I'm also insecure, and I'm just, I'm just going to be frank and open and raw with you. Um, I'm insecure about being single, right? Um, the, this is what sucks about ministry. Single pastors are actually regarded as less preferable than married pastors, right? And this is the worst part about it. No one wants to date a pastor, so guess what? You're stuck in this never-ending vicious cycle, right? It's just like, oh my gosh, I'm screwed, right? But I understand why, because the married pastor is more tested than the single pastor, right? 
I'm insecure about how I look, uh, my appearance. I'm insecure of how other people perceive me. Right? And these are the things that I've been struggling like my entire life. Right? I kind of feel like it's like a thorn to my side that will never go away. But here's the thing. I am comforted because my self-worth and my identity is not in who I am, but it's solely in Christ alone. At the end of the day, I have to remind myself that my worth is not determined by what I think. Uh, My worth is not determined by what the world says. But the only opinion that matters at the end of the day is God's. God tells me that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I live with an audience of one. And this passage reminds me that God is greater than my insecurities This passage reminds me that God will always be by my side. He will be loyal to me. And of course, there are days where it's hard to believe in these these truths. Um, There will be days where our faith wavers. But all throughout my entire life, I can confidently say that God has always provided me the grace necessary to be strong and courageous. And so Exchange Church, I leave you with this. My prayer for all of you is to be strong and courageous. Uh, My prayer for all of you is to be obedient to the word, and then you will find success. My prayer for you is to not make decisions based on fear or insecurity, but to make godly decisions that are inspired by faith. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, We thank you, God, that, man, when we are weak, when we feel insignificant, when we are insecure, um, God, you are so gentle and so compassionate. You hold us by our hand. You lift us up. You carry us, God. And it's so comforting to know, God, that um, you're on our side. The God of the universe, the God who has created all things, the God who has control over this entire world is on our side. So who can stand against us? Our, com- our confidence, God, is not in who we are or what we're able to um, accomplish, but our confidence is solely knowing that our worth is found in you, Jesus, and we celebrate that. God, I'm probably preaching to the choir here. There's probably a lot of us who feel insecure. I think there's a lot of us who kind of struggle with um, self-worth whether for parents, whether for, you know, in serious relationships, whether for single. My prayer for our entire church is that we would be able to be strong and courageous, not in our own mind, but God, that we would look at the memorials that we've set up, that we would look to the evidence of your faithfulness in the past, and that God, you, your spirit would remind us, oh, God is always gracious. God always delivers us. God saves Would that be the confidence that we carry into uncertainty? That, God, you will give us the courage to really face um, any doubt or insecurity. Help us, God, to be obedient. Help us, God, to desire your word more than security in itself. And, God, I pray that you will give us a conviction, a drive, a desire to delight in your word that we will be able to indeed meditate on it day and night. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in this church. Thank you, God, for being 
um, a God who doesn't condemn all the time, but a God who's really so compassionate and gentle and warm. God, you are sensitive. You are aware of um, our blemishes. And um, God, you are really so powerful in how you work in our lives. God, we need you. We need greater faith and hope. And I pray that you will lead us to be faithful disciples that make much of you and your glory. That is our prayer. And we pray this in Jesus' name.